0: Today on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn how to be a supportive colleague, when it's okay to shed a tear, and how the Sharp Scratch podcasters have experienced grief in the workplace. You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 13, coping with death. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we get medical students, new doctors, and expert guests into the studio to talk about all those things that you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you probably won't learn at medical school. I'm Lauren Innes mulder and I'm a fifth year medical student at the University of Cambridge. Uh, And I've just come to the end of a paediatric placement, in case you guys are wondering what I'm up to these days. Um, And with me today is the wonderful Chidera. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, hi, um, I'm Chidera, and I'm now an FY2, Foundation Year Two doctor um, in Northwest London, working in psychiatry, though I am an aspiring surgeon. Um, I also YouTube and do a little bit of social media in my free time.
0: And we also have Raihan, (laughs) woohoo! He's back from elective.
2: (laughs) i'm hoping you haven't forgotten the sound of my voice (laughs) i have been away from my elective but i'm back now i'm starting my degree in management at imperial this week
0: great and and back in episode 10 when we spoke to you on the phone you told us that what you were really looking forward to was your mum's rice and curry
2: Yes, indeed I did. Well remembered. And how was it? It was good. I mean, she even offered to give me containers of it and bring it back to London Aww. at uni, but I was like, I might not have space in the freezer. So.
0: And how is it living in a completely new city?
2: It's good. I mean, it's London. I like it. <laughs> it's busy. It's op- there's opportunities.
0: And in the, in the studio today, we've got our wonderful expert guest Stephen Barclay. Would you like to introduce yourself?
3: Yes. Hello. I'm Stephen Barclay. I'm a GP and a palliative care doctor in Cambridge, uh, and I'm university lecturer where I'm involved in the teaching of medical students.
1: Yeah, including me. Indeed. Yeah, and you for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Oh dear, Raihan, you're outnumbered <laughs> today. <Yeah.
0: laughs> um, today we're talking about death. So on this podcast, usually we talk about things that. You probably won't learn at medical school and this topic is a bit of an exception because in general medical schools do try and prepare us to be good doctors in the areas of death and dying but how can we not talk about death on sharp scratch you know because it's something we think about from the very beginning of our medical careers when we're applying to medical school we think about it we think can I cope with this am I cut out for this mm-hmm. am I ready to, to cope with death um, and after all, there is still a gap between what we do learn at medical school and then what it's like to experience it in the job. Isn't that right? No, 100%. It's You can obviously
1: do simulations and everything you can to practice during medical school, but the first time that you
0: deal with it in real life, it is a little different. Yeah. So, so Raihan, have you experienced much of death and dying during your clinical placements?
2: So far, I've not experienced it at all, but I've had friends who, who have and... Um I don't know some part like a part of me wants to experience it in medical school, so at least I know what to expect in f one and f two and then later on in my career. but then a part of me thinks maybe I don't know, maybe I'm not mature enough yet or mm. maybe after all the correct teaching, I'll be better prepared in f one and f two
0: yeah so I'm, I'm I mean, I've not had much experience of death and dying either. There was one patient who perhaps comes to mind in my first ever clinical placement. I remember him really well. I remember his name because we saw him loads. We saw him most of the days. We, he came into hospital with some really sort of common symptoms Mm -hmm. and he had some very obvious signs. So medical students were encouraged to go and talk to him, learn about his backstory, examine him. And so I did so several times uh, in person, see how he's he's progressing on, on the ward round I saw him fairly often. And then suddenly, not whilst I was present, but I just came in one day and I learned from the doctors that his diagnosis had changed and... He was now aware that he was dying and that he had days to weeks Mm -hmm. um, remaining. Mm -hmm. And then we never went and saw him again. Like medical students were not encouraged to join him in that room in the ward round. He often had family there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not particularly polite or appropriate for medical students to keep examining someone who knows that they're in their final days or weeks of their life. And that was a really surreal experience because... I'd gotten to know him a bit. I don't know, he wasn't particularly open, so I don't feel like I knew him very well personally, yeah. but I'd seen him a lot. You know, he was he was always very kind to us students. And then we just never saw him. And then one day you come into the hospital and his, his bay was empty. And then we knew that he'd passed away. And I remember finding it quite strange at the time because I didn't feel particularly distressed by it. And maybe mm-hmm. that's because I wasn't particularly involved in that after his diagnosis, but it just felt a bit odd. I felt a bit strange, like shouldn't this be a bigger deal to me that's about as much of as I've experienced of death and dying in hospital.
2: I think it's quite difficult because you have to strike that balance you have to feel and be empathetic and Mm. and understand what the family is going through but then also you have you have to remember you have a job and and you have a duty to get on with and you can't get worn down with all these emotions because it might affect the decisions that you make later on in that day
0: I mean you've got a point but then this was this was the first time that I've come across it and so my expectations were right up here my hands right up in the air but the reality was quite different from what I expected it to be
2: I think so I had a similar experience like that oh yeah Um, a patient who came in uh, it was a GP clinic and came in and um, had uh, cancer and had recovered well and a few weeks later I'd, I'd seen the patient again But this time the cancer had spread all over the body and basically the patient had a few weeks to a few days left to live. And I remember speaking to the patient about death and the patient was not phased at all um, because their partner had passed away recently and and again it was cancer as well. And their outlook on life was, I don't know, it was quite a positive outlook and death didn't really phase them. So when death actually came and we went to visit the patient, Um, at their home. That was quite sad to see that I thought that patient, there was hope for that patient a few weeks or a few months ago and and, you know that patient has more years to live but now it's just out of our control and, and sadly the patient will pass away in a few weeks or a few days and we can't do anything about it. I don't think the emotions were strong because I didn't see the patient die in front of me. I think that moment is what hits people the most when you see the patient die right in front of you, you know, especially after a cardiac arrest or something like that when you've just seen the vigorous process of like CPR. But when you know a patient is going to die and it'll take a few weeks or a few days, I guess you can cope with that a lot better.
0: So, I mean, Stephen, I can see you nodding along. Um, I mean, we're just two med students spitballing yeah. about what we think it'll be like, what we think matters. Are you, do you think we're on the right lines here? or What's what's your experience?
3: Yes, I think you're, you're completely on the right lines. Um, I, I must admit, I, I remember the first patient I saw die when I was a med student. Um, and for a lot of doctors, the first patient they see actually move from life to death is kind of a memorable experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that, I remember was the, my fellow med student who was with me commented on the interesting arrhythmia that he died from uh, and that was, that, was, that was what he took away, uh, was the technical aspects of things. I was stunned by that the person I was talking to five minutes ago is now Not no here. longer here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of transition from life to death is, mm-hmm. quite, is quite a shocking one.
1: Particularly on a ward, I found, so when a patient dies, I mean, depending on situation, whether there's family around, that patient may not even remain on the ward for very long afterwards, and the next thing you know, that space has been filled with someone else. Mm. I think that was something that I found really eerie the first time a patient died, was just seeing, you know, literally the the very next day, there was another patient filling that bed, yes. mm-hmm. and I just thought, oh, you know, I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm awkward laughing, because it was really quite uh, disconcerting.
0: So, Raihan, what kind of preparation do you know that you're getting at your university for this kind of situation, if any?
2: So far, we haven't really covered it in that much depth. I mean, we've went through topics like breaking bad news and dealing with the family and and these matters. But I think because death is such an important um, issue, I think we'll most likely cover that In detail in fifth year towards Um, the end of the course right exactly
0: yeah it's kind of similar at my university get a bit of teaching in the clinical years but then in the final year sort of a really big solid chunk of time dedicated to all the different areas isn't that right jadeira
1: Yeah, and I do think for me, I'm happy that it happened at that period of time. So just before I left to start F1, Mm. um, I think it was good that it was fresh in my mind because I started on, I think I said this before, like a surgical rehab ward, but what was essentially a surgical geriatrics ward. So death was a fairly big part of Mm. my first placement. So I'm happy that Mm. that sort of palliative teaching was so, I guess, present in my mind at the time that I started. Mm. And how
0: about you, Stephen? When you were... At university, what kind of preparation did you get to be able to cope with the sort of emotional side of death and dying? Do you remember? Uh,
3: Remarkably little. I I qualified a few years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Just just a handful. (laughs) Just a handful. I mean, I I chose to do a student selected component in the local hospice. So it was at that stage something that I was interested in. Mm. In Part it was something that was related to childhood experiences that I had. My mother died when I was young, um, so I kind of sorted out, and it's remained with me as an area of of clinical interest. But for most of my peers, it was almost not at that point really addressed at all. That it sounds extraordinary now. Yeah, it seems kind mm-hmm. of baffling, actually. Yeah. Yes, yes. As as you said in the introduction, you know, this is this is part of life. This is part of medicine every doctor uh, in their first few years uh, after qualifying as foundation doctor will inevitably be responsible for the care of of a dying patient Mm. and be seeing them on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, And so if we're not preparing colleagues, uh, both uh, in terms of the the technical aspects and the prescribing and the other things, but also helping them to prepare themselves on a sort of personal emotional basis yeah. Um, then we're kind of setting up our colleagues as foundation doctors to to struggle with mm-hmm. an area that's really important care that we want to do well.
0: Yeah I mean what do you think about what I said earlier that even though we can learn a lot that there's still a gap between that and the experience the first time do you think that's still true?
3: I think that's one of the the challenges I think of, of st- Starting work as a junior doctor is that this is this is no longer an academic exercise. This is (laughs) for real. Um, And as a medical student, you're you're an observer. You're learning, but you're not responsible for the patient. Day one on the wards, you're wearing a rather different white coat, um, which is you know they turn to you as doctor Mm. rather than as med student. And so taking on responsibility, I think, is probably a big issue yeah
1: so I completely agree I think um that you suddenly go from being in a position where you watch things happen to essentially other people that you are shadowing but they are other people to being a part of that team where I mean from a whole host of different avenues from the fact that as an F1 when you're consultants in theatre and you're registered as an ED if a patient dies you're the one who gets bleep you're the one who certifies a death so you're playing in a sense, a role in what's happened as opposed to essentially watching it from the outside as as included as you may be made to feel as a medical student. You have no responsibility there, whereas suddenly it's your job. Mm. And I think just experiencing it from that point of view was so different to any sort of practice or simulation I'd done beforehand.
0: Yeah, I remember in episode eight when we talked about tips for new doctors, Declan said that one of our friend Declan, he said one of <laughs> his biggest fears was that uh, suddenly in his first day that everything would go wrong and he'd be the one he'd be the doctor he'd be the one mm-hmm. that suddenly had to actually deal with those things which I think is a bit like what you're saying and just to say I mean if a patient dies it doesn't necessarily mean that things
1: have gone wrong so it's not that you suddenly yeah. feel like you know you're to blame but it's yeah. it's just more that you know it's a it's a serious and important thing that you need to be sort of respectful and careful about and I think it's that aspect almost where I just think how can I do this in a way that is respectful to both the patient and the family mm. with everything that sort of surrounds the
0: death and the dying. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point you picked up on me there actually. I did just kind of frame death as something <laughs> that's maybe like a, a failure, but it's not, is it? As it's quite often that in medicine we sort of pitch ourselves as the last guardians against death, but actually it's not the case. Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: I think one of the the mindsets that I find really helpful, um, and it was a colleague who said this to me a few years ago, is is to kind of get your head around the fact that it's not my fault mm. <laughs> that this patient mm, yeah. is dying. Yeah. And as doctors, we can feel that we're failing and it's that the patient is dying. But if you can get beyond that and we are where we are and it's not my fault that we are mm-hmm. where we are mm-hmm. um, and it's my responsibility to make sure that what's left is, is as good a time as possible for the patient. For me, that was really helpful in terms of taking a week burden off my shoulder Mm. uh, that somehow things had gone wrong um, and that I was in some way responsible.
2: One thing um, you mentioned Stephen um, you said that you had a little bit of experience with death um, although you didn't get taught that in med school. Going back to at that time when you you graduated and and started working on the wards, do you remember how your colleagues dealt with it or your friends dealt with it? Because they didn't. I'm guessing they didn't have any experience of death and they also didn't have any teaching. Do you remember how they dealt with it? Because you have quite a good mindset on how to deal with it.
3: So I think it was it varied. Um, uh, some people were freaked out by it and and frightened by dying patients, and, and patients pick that up, oh dear. Um, ah. mm. uh, that a doctor who is caring for a dying patient and kind of steps back because of their own struggles, mm-hmm. um, that's not putting the patient at the centre of your attention, yeah. so they had some personal processing to do uh, first in terms of being able to sort their own stuff. Uh, And as doctors, we need to be able to be there with the patient and put our own stuff to one side Mm -hmm. um, and put the patient at the centre.
0: So, Ryan, that's a really interesting question you asked. Like, from your position, what kind of things are you worrying about when it comes to the emotional side of death and dying that you'll be working alongside as a doctor?
2: As you had mentioned your mindset, I think something sort of clicked in me which makes me feel a bit more confident in dealing with death although before you said that, I was worried. My biggest worry being, okay, a patient has just passed away. For me, I've not had to deal with death in my like immediate family or close family, in a probably never, to be honest. Mm. So I don't know what it feels like, and no close friends have passed away, and no patients have passed away. So because of that, when it's the first time you experience death, regardless of whether it's a patient or family member it will hit you Mm. so that was my biggest worry uh
0: someone pointed out to me recently that no matter how many deaths you experience the the boundary of what you can cope with just shifts and there's always perhaps like a new situation that you haven't encountered yet that is still going to hit you and and knock down any kind of coping mechanisms that you do have whether Mm -hmm. that's the first time you encounter someone dying very suddenly or the first time you encounter someone dying who reminds you of someone special to you or anything like that. So that actually, it's not just the first time that you encounter death and dying that's going to hit you, but actually it'll continue to do so over your career. And there'll always be a sort of new boundary of what's comfortable and what's yeah. not. And okay.
3: I think I think that that's absolutely right. And then as inevitably during our careers, we in our personal lives experience loved ones and friends mm-hmm. and family who are, who are ill and dying, and and that adds a new dimension when the patient that you're caring for is reminding you mm. of what's going on yeah. at home. Mm. And occasionally, I think it's entirely appropriate to say to a colleague, "I don't think I can really be caring for Mrs. Jones or Mr. Bloggs or whatever, um, because I feel that I might tear up." Um, mm-hmm. And that's good. I don't want the patient to be supporting mm. me when yeah, I'm supposed course, to be supporting yeah. Yeah. Um, the course, patient. And yeah. I have at times in my in my career had to say that to colleagues, mm. um, that uh, this is ringing alarm bells with me. Uh, and I think I might struggle with this one and have have warned them in advance that i might mm. need to step back uh, and what, what i've done in that situation is to involve a colleague in that patient's care so that if i gently fade out of the picture the patient won't think hey what's happened mm. Um, mm. but just i gently fade out mm. and someone fades in mm. um, because um, of being conscious that that this may get too close to home and that's not being weak that's just being professional i mean yeah. that's
0: that's really reassuring to me that you have talked to your colleagues about that and you have been open with your colleagues. Um, I was kind of wondering, is it considered normal when you're on the job Mm -hmm. or is it considered a bit weird to be struggling with grief when patients pass away?
1: Um, So I wouldn't say that it's abnormal at all. You know, we all have lives outside of medicine and there are a number of different things that could be happening in them, whether they are good or bad. I mean I always talk about how much I love working in teams and a big part of working in a team and that camaraderie is being able to support each other Mm. Um, and I would say that with my fellow F1s or even other members of the teams if there's been reasons that for that will make me find a certain aspect of the job harder I've always tried to be as honest and open about that and I've never received any sort of backlash for that and if a colleague did that to me I would completely understand because again in in offering patients good care we need to be able to do that and if you can't do that then you need to rely on someone else to help you with that and you can only do that via honesty with the people you're working with I think.
0: So have you yourself experienced grief over um, a patient passing away?
1: In a sense so in my previous job, um, my grandmother passed away um, and my grandmother lives in Nigeria, so she's not someone that I knew that well, but obviously I knew my mom quite well and my <laughs> mom was incredibly upset. Yeah. And I think almost that was just as difficult, if not more difficult, to deal with was both obviously the grief of losing a family member but actually watching my mother grieve in itself was very difficult. Mm. Um and at the same time, um we had a patient on the ward who was incredibly unwell. Um and I was actually away for most of her admission, but I had the <laughs> luck, I'm not sure what the correct word is, privilege, privilege is that that um to return to work on the day that she died when all of my other colleagues who had met her and met her son were away. Um, And then I took him to the side room and broke the bad news. And then he, you know, completely broke down. He actually wasn't like angry. He was just incredibly sad. Um, And started like reminiscing about, you know, my mum was this amazing woman and telling me about her and their life together. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of my mum and their life together. Um, And honestly, I did actually cry a little bit, Mm. Um, but he was completely understanding of that. Um, And I didn't actually share why I was sad, but he just, I think he could just tell that regardless the stories that he was telling me and his emotions were sad anyway. So it it was, but it was, it was just weird seeing essentially what had just happened in my personal life mirrored in front of me yeah it was it was it was quite hard and i think yeah but i think that will happen and and did your colleagues that day know that you were struggling um so most of my colleagues were away that day it was one of those days where normally on my ward there were two f1s two other junior doctors a registrar and a consultant but Two of the junior doctors were on leave, one of them was on call, my consultant was away from the ward. So it was it was a surprisingly unsupported day because those were actually quite rare at my hospital and on the ward. So I didn't really have anyone on the ward that I could mm. talk to, but afterwards I did go and find a friend and kind of just had a little bit of a cry and a hug and some tea. That's really good. Just,
2: yeah. just something that, I don't know, maybe we can talk about. You mentioned he started describing uh, his relationship with his mother and mm-hmm. and how his mother was and you could empathize with him mm-hmm. and then you had some tears in your eyes as well mm-hmm. and you started crying a little do you think that's a bad thing or do you think that the patient may feel more comforted because you mm-hmm. shed those tears because if i would put myself in the patient's situation and and my mother had passed away and i'm speaking to a doctor Mm -hmm. about you know all the memories that i had with my mother Mm -hmm. and the doctor just sat there just holding my hand just telling me it's okay it's gonna be okay Mm -hmm. i'm you know just nodding just nodding and no tears nothing i don't know i wouldn't think they're human or like not 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 that they're not human but it's like they're just doing their job yeah whereas if they did have some tears in their eye then I'd feel like I don't know just a little bit more at comfort sort yeah. of thing we might see it as that's not what we're supposed to do as doctors we have to you know have a brave face and we have to show that you know we're good we're here to support them etc and we can't cry but I think in my opinion I think it makes the patient feel more at ease and what do you guys think
3: I'd agree with that I think there's a culture in medicine that someone has described as the mask of relaxed brilliance that sort of nothing gets to us everything is water off a duck's back Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's often the sort of the teaching hospital consultant sort of epitome Mm -hmm. that we're all familiar with and I think that can often be misinterpreted or can be interpreted by patients as of a lack of humanity Mm -hmm. I certainly know of colleagues working in oncology who are frequently in this situation who will say to me they do frequently when they have these really difficult conversations do have a tear in their eyes Mm. and provided it stays in a Mm -hmm. sort of controlled fashion Mm -hmm. that many patients really value the humanity of the doctor when you are delivering utterly devastating news. Yes we teach how to break bad news which I think is really helpful. I think to have rehearsed it with simulated patients at med school Mm -hmm. kind of gives you an opportunity to just get a little flavour of what it's going to be like.
1: I literally actually went through things that you taught me (laughs) so he turned up and I thought I've got to do a warning shot (laughs) 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 Um, and I was like oh can I just take you to the side I've got something to talk to you about you know um, so I did actually as I knew he was coming, was thinking through sort of, how have, I, how have I been taught to break bad news? I really, really need to utilize yes. those skills right now. Yes.
3: And, and, I think, and I think that's right. What if we cross the line and actually we become inconsolable mm-hmm. because of what's going on personally, then that's, that's our personal lives getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to think really carefully about whether we tell the patient mm what you are going through in your personal life because that's kind of...
1: So I didn't want to in this situation and I didn't just because I felt like this is about you Mm. um, and your mother and I don't think me talking about what's going on in my life. I just tried to be empathetic which in this situation was pretty easy because I had a similar situation but I don't know, I'm not sure if I would ever in that situation maybe relate to like relate it to a personal thing because it it can sound a bit sort of oh yeah I know what you're going through because I've done it too which is a little insensitive I don't know
2: Yeah.
0: I'm finding this conversation on tears and and crying and showing your feelings really helpful because I I recently read an article um called death is part of a doctor's job um in the BMJ where in the introduction it sort of explained that there was this 2012 study of Canadian oncologists, uh, where the researchers found that expressing grief at work was considered shameful and unprofessional. Those mm-hmm. are the words used. Um, and actually, I, I wanted to talk to the author and find out a bit more about how doctors struggle to talk about grief at work. Um, but we'll hear that right after this.
4: How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org.
0: All right, back to the show. So let's hear from Marika Davies, a journalist, medical legal expert for our sponsors Medical Protection and former surgeon, talking about how doctors experience the emotional side of death in their work.
5: I think for doctors, there's a very fine balance to be drawn between being a compassionate person who has a human side when they're dealing with patients and their relatives and the bereaved. Um, but they've also got to look after themselves and, and for their own emotional well-being. They have to have a degree of detachment just so they can do their job. I wrote the article because as, as part of my work taking um, calls on the advice line, we get a lot of calls from doctors who are have, have issues arising after a patient's died. But on the whole, it's very straightforward routine things like requests for reports from the coroner or the release of medical records. Um, but it can also be about complaints, say, from a patient's family. There can sometimes be adverse incident investigations or um, even an investigation that, when, in which the doctor might be coming under scrutiny and perhaps even criticism. Um, and on the whole, doctors deal with death on a regular basis. They're very used to dealing with it. It's a part of their job. But I think what, what I certainly have found is that every now and then there, there are doctors who are surprised by how they have been affected by a death. And often later in their career when you know they've been dealing with deaths for, for some time and it can then... Um, for, as I say, there are so many reasons why somebody can be affected by a death. Just a set of circumstances can arise, whether that's the doctor's personal circumstances, a particular situation around the patient's death, um, Whatever other issues are going on, I think, can then be the prompt to, to a doctor then finding a particular set of circumstances difficult to deal with. I think in, in an individual situation, then it's about, um, I think, recognising where you have been affected by a death and, and recognising that sometimes you, you just need to, do need to take whatever time you need um, where possible after when you're dealing with a death that you found particularly difficult. I think it's also about changing the culture and developing a culture that that recognizes that doctors aren't superhuman and that sometimes they need time to deal with the death of a patient. Having doctors knowing that they can take the time if they need to, not feeling embarrassed if they do need to seek help. And I think mainly it comes down to to having supportive colleagues um, is really important. And also being a supportive colleague, listening to your colleagues and being aware of sometimes when they do need that time.
0: So, Marika mentioned a few ways that might help a doctor to process a patient's death. So, I think she mentioned a quick coffee, or a walk around the block, or a quick chat. Um, so, I'm wondering, Stephen, could you tell us about a time when you found it perhaps hard, harder to talk about your emotions around a patient's
3: death? Yes, I think I I can. I think of a time of, of what I still look back on as the the hardest patient I've ever had to care for in my career, uh, which was a, a young man um, whose father has written a book about this and put this in the public domain of a young man in his early 20s who was dying from uh, f- from cancer. Uh, and uh, I knew the parents um, a little myself. Um, and uh, I found the visits to the home as the family's GP as his cancer um, advanced unbelievably difficult Um, and one of the things that I found really helpful was to be able to articulate that with with my colleagues in in the practice um, who were very supportive in terms of saying that when I was visiting this patient they said to me you are not to visit anybody else Mm -hmm. so if there were three or four other patients who would have been on my list to visit they said Stephen, you're not visiting them. A, because of the time, but also because I needed to, to have some time to process afterwards. And after he died um, is one of the few patients' funerals that I've been to, which may be something that um, is worth thinking mm-hmm. about. Because if you go to one patient's funeral you don't go to another patient's funeral, then there can be an issue of sort of treating people equally. But yeah. for me, it was really important to go to his funeral. But at the same time, I found that really difficult Difficult because he was a young man, and many of the people at the funeral were in their early 20s. And just from time to time afterwards, something came up that someone would make a comment that just ambushed me. And my wife was incredibly supportive when I was going through that. And I used to go home and talk uh, in confidence about this particular patient. And I think that's just something worth thinking about that we don't want to burden our partners with issues and obviously there's issues of confidentiality, but Mm -hmm. you know, when I was coming home visibly affected. Yeah. Mm. Um, I couldn't say to Sue, No, it's confidential, can't talk about it. And I, I did find that hard and I still find that hard because it was unbelievably sad. And sometimes we just are in unbelievably sad situations that actually just to have an acknowledgement that this is unbelievably sad. Yeah. Um Is just the helpful thing.
0: So when you are processing moments like this, what kind of things are helpful and what kind of things are maybe less helpful?
3: I think one of the things that is really unhelpful, and it it relates back to something that you you were saying earlier, Ryan, in terms of anyone trying to make it better. Uh, Because in in the situation I'm talking about with this young man, I was actually a bereaved doctor. Uh, And I know that may sound strange, Mm -hmm. but I, I was experiencing a bereavement. And what I needed was someone who would listen but not try to fix it Mm -hmm. Um, because it was unfixable. Yeah Um, I mean
0: we doctors do like fixing things don't we? Yes
3: yes and sometimes just to have someone who's got the personal maturity to recognize that here's someone who's hurting and they just need an, an emotional or if appropriate a physical hug is all that they need because someone who tries to jump in and fix it and to make it better, albeit with a colleague or with um, with a patient, you're communicating that actually I don't understand. And if going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of well, I understand what you're going through because I've recently been through that with my grandmother, with an ang- potentially angry relative, that might precipitate a volcano in terms yeah. of actually, I'm not particularly interested, doctor, in your what's been going on in your personal life and actually you don't understand No,
1: exactly um
3: and sometimes one needs time out and actually maybe half an hour to say to a colleague actually you know can you take my bleep for half an hour because actually i need to go and have a coffee Mm -hmm. Uh, and actually no i don't particularly want anyone to come with me thank you i just need to go out walk around the car park yeah come back in again yeah Yeah.
1: no i think i was really lucky um from the aspect that um a lot of my colleagues were just We were all kind of emotional support animals for each other um, for most of um, that year. Um, So whenever very difficult things like that happened, there were always people there to say, do you need tea? Do you need a coffee? Do you need five minutes? What can I do to help? Very much being aware of the fact that, you know, I can't fix this, but what can I do to make this easier? And I think that will always be helpful Is just someone kind of... Again, acknowledging how you feel and giving you the time to feel that and to at least just gather yourself to get through the rest of the day.
3: But I think we need to acknowledge that some teams are dysfunctional. Oh, yes. <laughs> <And> not supportive. <laughs> knowing, and, knowing laughter from yeah. Chaterra there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it can be actually in any specialty, we tend to caricature some mm. specialties mm. as being more yeah. macho, you know, chin up, get on with mm. it. But actually, you know, I've been ambushed in all sorts of different specialties uh, and sometimes that support genuinely isn't there Um, and that can be really tough when someone says you know pull yourself together we've got you know we're in the middle of a busy medical take you know Mm -hmm. just pull yourself together and get on with it because there's five people you need to clock down. That would make me feel
0: like such an idiot it would make me feel like really like as if I was being really silly like really sort of dismissed Yeah. So one tool that I've heard about that can be helpful for doctors processing emotions are Schwartz rounds is that something you've heard about before
2: I've not heard of it yet no
1: um so yes they had them at my last hospital and at my
0: current hospital as well so Schwartz rounds are found in uh in different parts of this country I think they came over from the USA um I actually spoke to Chantal Maestro, who's a consultant palliative care physician and psychotherapist based in the Midlands, uh, to talk a bit about what Schwartz rounds are, how they came to be and how they help doctors processing emotions.
6: Schwartz rounds have been imported into England, really. They've crossed the Atlantic from America. They took a grand round um, format, but instead of looking at process and policies and finding the right technical answers for patients, they looked at the experience for staff of an episode of care. And what they found was that these experiential stories began to reconnect staff with their teams. They were reducing stress, increasing support. And because the patient experience is so dependent on staff experience, they began to notice that the staff experience was improving patient experience. Yeah, they're an opportunity to hear a story about an episode of care and a way of, or a way of working with then a facilitated discussion um, where experience, feelings and thoughts are shared, not process or facts or problem solving. Um, it's a very rare opportunity for staff to talk about how I feel and how I function. And we thought that because it's a bit touchy-feely, we thought that Um, doctors would um, appreciate them a lot less and then when we were analysing our data um, we realised that we had swallowed that hidden curriculum of medicine that doctors don't care, that doctors are meant to be unemotional and almost it's a societal expectation isn't it, that the figure of the doctor um, is unaffected by suffering and just sort of sails through Whereas nurses are are lovely and caring, but actually we found that the responses from each there was no difference between them. Um, each really, each group really appreciated the chance to talk and the chance to listen to each other, to hear other professions and other grades, particularly the senior doctors, talking about how they felt. One of the other areas that I was quite interested in, because I'm palliative medicine, was that um, we only had one round on death during Dying Matters Week. We had one round. But in 18 of our analysed rounds, there were 39 comments about death and dying. Because, of course, it's a lot of what we do, isn't it? Death, dying, loss of health. Even within that, although people were frustrated with the futility of it and a very common outcome in medical students coming up to medical school is to feel just sad, guilt, regret. Um, But actually what was mentioned as well as that was empathy and looking at one's own mortality, but also how positively fulfilling it is to actually look after someone who's dying well and look after the family they said it was rewarding it was special that we were there it was good for them to be there supporting and that they did everything they could have you ever attended a schwarzland
3: yes um, (laughs) i've attended a few Schwartz rounds and and interestingly in in our medical school we've recently introduced them in about two three years ago for medical students. One of the gifts of a Schwartz round is it's a confidential and a safe environment where people don't go out of the room and talk about you know what he or she said Uh, but people have i have had a number of emails this week of people saying I'd had individual conversations about some of these issues with my colleagues but actually as a year group to hear people several people articulating the same thing and lots of nodding of heads yeah. made me feel that what i'm wrestling with as a clinical student is mm. is normal mm. um, rather than me having a particular struggle so i think it kind of legitimizes that it is tough being in healthcare and as as chantal said there it's not about solving problems but it's about legitimizing the joys and the sorrows of being in medicine and to know that there are multiple other people in the room who are saying yeah I've been there too
0: I mean you just come back from elective Raihan mm-hmm. do you think a Schwartz round might be something you would attend in the future?
2: From how you describe it uh, Stephen, actually I see the benefit in it and in medical school especially um, maybe near the, the last few years of, of med school I think that would be something that could have a lot of use for medical students and um, I think it makes all of these feelings and, and emotions that everyone feels it, it makes us feel like okay we're not alone in, mm. in what we're feeling and that going back to also what Chidera said like that there's a team around us and when you have that feeling there's a sense of security and and strength in that and I think in the final few years of medical school, especially, that would be mm. of great use.
0: Speaking of feelings, actually, there's something that Chantal said that kind of surprised me a little. She said that when in the sort of feedback that people have been giving, people had expressed feelings of sadness or regret or perhaps uh, like fulfillment, sort of being with patients as, as they've passed away. But what, what surprised me a little is that she said that sometimes caring for patients who are dying makes doctors think of their own mortality is that something that you've? Yes. Ex- <laughs> Before you can even finish the question,
1: yeah. yeah. Yes, so I think particularly because a lot of us when we start, we're you know in our twenties and we think we're going to live forever, blah blah blah. Mm. And maybe what, you mean you're
0: not going to live. I am going to live
1: forever. <laughs> I, well, actually, this is the thing. I no longer want to. Um, <laughs> oh right. Um, because when you are around a lot of people who are dying, you start to think about what will my death be like, um, and how do I prepare for that to happen in the best way? And I think that's not a conversation that a lot of people will have purely because we don't like talking about death to our friends and family because we don't want to imagine our friends and family Mm dead. And for me, before my grandmother, I'd never experienced a close or even distant loss at all. So it really wasn't something that I thought about. But yeah, having been on a ward, um, I mean, I want to make an advance directive, to be honest, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you, you see what death is like and you see how it can be done well. And how maybe it can be done less well. And you start to think about, okay, well, if this is me, because if that's not impossible, it could be me. How would I want this to happen? And that was a thought that I had a lot, actually, far more than I was expecting. Oh, wow. And it now means that I have spoken to my parents and mm. to my family and even my boyfriend about
0: death. About what they would like for mm-hmm. themselves as well mm-hmm. as what you'd like for yourself. Yeah. But I think that coping with death and dying is something we can talk about for hours longer, right? But then we can still not be prepared for it and all the different ways that we'll experience it in the future. And I think, I think that is true, but from having spoken about it today, I certainly do feel, I feel really touched that you guys have been so open about your experiences and I feel reassured to hear about your experiences of support from colleagues and of supporting your colleagues too. I find that really encouraging Um, and that does make me feel a bit less daunted about what's to come in the future. Um, How about you, Raihan? What do you think?
2: I think it's nice to hear your experiences and, also, how you personally deal with it. Mm, that, that's not the kind of stuff we're going to yeah, hear in med school very
6: often, is it? Exactly. Like yeah.
2: yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just my university, but my lecturers don't usually give personal experiences. And maybe they're worried about patient confidentiality or, or whatnot, but they just it's just not something. They just teach us the framework. Maybe they don't have enough time, but it's just the framework. This is how you deal with it. This is what you do. And this is what you shouldn't do. And then they might tell us a funny case or something. <laughs> but <laughs> just just to make sure that you remember it. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's nice to see how you step by step deal with it. And yes. um, especially from your experience, Stephen, and yours, Chidera. That's something that I will take away from, from today's uh, session. Uh,
3: it may sound ghoulish, but I actually think potentially it would be helpful f- for medical students as far as possible to actually have some encounter with these issues that we're Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. while at med school, because you're in a relatively supported environment, you've got your friends and your peers around you, you've got the pastoral support structures of your medical school and your university, Um, because these are challenging issues to process. But if the first time you have to process them is when you're in some unfamiliar hospital without your friends and without your support structures around that's that's a yeah. tricky one
0: so at the end of the last episode I told our listeners that this week we'd be talking about pronouncing and certifying death but as you can hear we've actually taken a lot of time to discuss about the emotions and coping with it first Um, And we'll be coming on to things like what is a coroner, what kind of duties do doctors have um, after death in our next episode. But for now, that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. If you'd like to hear more from us, then subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks time, you'll get our next episode straight to your phone. And while you wait for the next episode, do check us out on social media. We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag #SharpScratch scratch because we would just love to hear your ideas for other things that we could cover on later on in the season. And it's also so, so helpful to us if you could leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps other med students find the show. Um, shout out to Loki Mun. Your review really made us smile. You legend. <laughs> um, next time, we'll actually be talking about pronouncing and certifying death. Until then, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.
2: Goodbye from me, but just make sure you leave a review because I actually read all
3: the reviews. But goodbye (laughs) from me. (laughs) And goodbye from me.